Welcome to the Storytime Podcast. I'm your host, Chapmonius. This week, Jamal and I talk about coping with loss. We walk through our first memories of loss to see what coping mechanisms helped us at our most vulnerable moments. We also reflect on the need for a strong support system, having grace through adversity, and that emergency vehicles don't care if you're trying to record a podcast. What we talk about is not laced in medical theory, but in the application of support and empathy to our community. Hope you enjoyed the episode. Storytime Podcast. I'm your host, Chapmonius. On this week's episode, we're going to discuss coping with loss. You know, as we first uh, put our feet, our footsies on this rock, you know, we knew it was inevitable we're going to leave it. But what's not inevitable is coping with loss, coping with the loved one leaving before you do, because you're left on this, as I said, rock with questions and what ifs. And on today's guest, I have uh, Jamal on the line. Hey, Jamal, how you doing? Pretty good, man. How's it going? I'm doing well, man. And uh, hopefully Jamal and I can uh, just, if anything else, let you guys know that, you know, we experience loss probably the same way as you guys have, but maybe in a different perspective. And hopefully we can some gain some insights on that. Sounds good? Sounds good with me. All right, man. Perfect. So if you can, man, can you think about uh, one of the first times you've experienced loss, like your first memories? Yeah. Um, I think one of my first memories of loss would probably be when I was about seven years old. Myself and a childhood friend of mine, um, both of our dads were mail carriers at the time. And um, we were probably the last two kids to usually get picked up from our after-school program. Mm -hmm. This one particular day, uh, my pops came and got me. And my buddy was kind of still just kind of waiting around, which was odd. And uh, as we were leaving out of the school, his mom walked up and she never really usually picked him up. And come to find out, the reason that she was picking him up is his dad passed away of a heart attack mm. while he was at work. Mm. So at seven years old, I didn't really grasp the fact that he would never see his dad again. It was one of those things where, you know, we had so much in common and you think, oh, this kid is just like me. We go to the same school. Our dads do the same thing. We were fast friends, but I couldn't process the thought of me going through maybe not having my dad at that young age or what that meant that he was never coming back. You know what I mean? So that was probably the earliest memory of, of loss in that respect. Well, yeah, that's, that's sort of a hard age because at that age you're, you know, you can't wrap your head around things, especially that of, of loss. You know, you, you still bicker about your lost toy or your lost game. So you can't possibly, and I'm not trying to simplify it, but you can't possibly understand you know, not having that person that was there for you since day one no longer there. Right. As a parent or with a kid losing their parents, you as a small child, you always think, oh, my, my parents will be around forever. That's not a memory or a thought process that you would have that early. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's right. That's right. Now, further along, and had you experienced loss after, you know, close into your teenage year? By the time I was 14, I, was, I ended up experiencing loss again. Um, my freshman year of high school, uh, we had a kid that started school with us, um, probably midway of our freshman year, he disappeared and we found out that he disappeared because he had been diagnosed with leukemia. Um, by the time we got to our senior year, he ended up passing away before we graduated our senior year. 
we ended up raising money for his funeral expenses, for his family, uh, raising enough money to actually have him buried in his uh, varsity jacket. Oh, that man. That's, a good, that's, that's, that's nice. So that was a memory that will always stick just because at that point, our whole senior class kind of rallied around that event and basically built a brotherhood that we still have to this day. I can remember us just kind of becoming a big family. We all showed up to his funeral. I can remember being, like I said, 17, leaving his funeral procession, and we all going and pouring out liquor on his behalf just to cherish that memory. And we all kind of, to this day, do something every year where we acknowledge him, so to speak. Yeah, and that's us. And you and, and you know, just like when you're seven, you definitely can't wrap it around. And when you're 14, you it still doesn't get any better. But what the good thing you definitely said is you had an infrastructure or support group around you of your classmates who was basically experiencing the same thing. Right. And see, we had to deal with it on a more extreme level because for our high school, if you graduated in an even year, mm-hmm. you felt like you were going to lose somebody because most even year classes from the high school that I graduated from lost somebody before that school year was over. Really? Yeah. So by the time I got to my freshman year, like I said, I lost one good friend by the time we were juniors in high school. Um, we lost some more friends of ours. By the time we got to a senior year, it was like, okay, this is somewhat a reality but how you deal with it in each situation was a little bit different depending on your relationship with that person. Right. You know what I mean? And, and you speak of how, you know, you galvanize as a, as a squad per se, you know, as a, as a, as a class, you know, it sort of resembled the thing that happened to me in my senior year back in, in 89, back in October of 89, I had a, a good friend, a great athlete by the name of Kevin Copeland. He passed away on the football field. And, um, we didn't know it at the time. You know, we still held out a hope because, you know, you, this dude was the All-American. He was, he was super – he was Michael Jordan before – well, during Michael Jordan time. But he was a, a superior athlete. I mean, every college wanted him. Just a great guy. And I remember we all came back on the bus, and we didn't know what was going on until someone told us when we got back. And I just remember the, the loud screams throughout the school. And I'm not trying to be morbid, but that's what, you know, you're talking I'm 17, 18 at the time. And now I'm 46, so you're talking 29, you know, years that it, it still resonates with me. And, right. And I, and I think the parallel is that you, something happened, it brought together more than likely people you normally wouldn't talk to. You know, people you normally would, your you intersexual groups, and that's what happened to us. We right, We created right. a group of, 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 of everybody, all-inclusive, you know, we even call it the Dorsey Don Posse, you know, founded by people before he passed away because he was, you know, basically more than one of the founding members. But it's just that it became instead of it just a sports thing, it became a community thing. And I think that's what's positive when you when you lose someone at that age. Definitely. And one of the things, you know, you see the after school specials when something happens to a kid and you have the grief counselors and stuff for the schools and whatnot. That was the first time that we actually had to deal with something like that. Yeah, wow. Because once he passed away, you know, we took it to an extreme, so to speak. It was one of those situations where we had collected donations as a school, not just from a standpoint of our senior class. Right. And I remember a freshman 
asking now that he's passed away, do we get to get our money back? And that caused a really big uproar wow. to the point where it actually caused a fight in the school. As seniors, when we saw freshmen, we basically ripped them to shreds. You know what I mean? Right. And that show of emotion made the school feel like we didn't handle it very well. Mm-hmm. But we looked at it as this is a form of solidarity for one of our fallen friends, and you shouldn't take that lightly. Right. At this point, we've banded together to make sure that we honor this person in such a way that we did this collection, that we buried him in his jacket, and you've kind of dismissed that. That went on for a day, and then the grief counselors came. We didn't really use them mm-hmm. because we, we relied on each other. And depending on the type of person you are, sometimes it's harder to talk to people, talk to strangers than it is to talk to somebody that you know. Right. What exactly. we did, we used each other because we had these relationships and we had built this bond that we felt more comfortable just getting through it together. Yeah, and I think that's, and I'm not saying that it was an optimal time for that to happen because you got so many like-minded people. Right, you, know, you have right. somebody the same age, same hormones going through our bodies, the same thoughts, same process. I remember that Saturday coming back, and I just remember just it wasn't even acknowledgement that you know something had happened. It was more or less that okay, we're all suffering. We don't need to say it. You know, we don't need to. All we need to do is bond. And I think that's overall. I think I knew that's what happened because, like I said. There's still his 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 memory still there, you know. People still talk about him in admiration, and uh, we're still bonded over that. Right, right. Now, did you gain any even from the earliest memories of loss, or even during your high school loss? Did you gain any type of coping mechanisms, or do you think you did during that process? Um, I knew at that time that it was real. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at seven years old and the, and it's explained to you, you, you are told that, like you said earlier, you're born into this world. And at some point you have to leave. By the time I got to 14, I felt like, okay, everybody kind of has a number, but there's no set time when you can go. Right. You start, you started to feel like nobody is above leaving this earth. You know what I mean? And truth be told Mm -hmm. I have a unique situation when it comes to coping with with loss I worked in a hospital setting for five years where part of my job description for two and a half well for almost three years was to actually do morgue runs and things of that nature when people passed away from procedures or while they were in the hospital for anything really so yeah so I actually Got to a point, I can remember my first two days on the job. I went and did morgue runs three times in the first two days. Wow. And I remember the first time being sick to my stomach. I remember the second day not even wanting to go to lunch because I'm like, how do you go from experiencing this loss or somebody losing their life to, okay, let me scrub up and go to lunch so I can come back and maybe have to do this all over again. Right. You know, and then I got to a point where I kid you not, for two and a half years, Mm -hmm. I did a run at least once a day every Saturday for two and a half years. Goodness, yeah, that's that's over a hundred times right there. Right, and I I begin to think that you know, you have to appreciate every day that you're given because you just don't know. Right, and and some people don't cope with those types of losses because. 
of every opportunity that they have. Right. You know what I mean? Exactly. So I, I, uh, I ended up starting to think that way. And at the same time, I began to think that, you know, it's, it can be shocking depending on the circumstance and depending on the way that a person exits this world. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Because by the time I was probably 21, I lost another good friend of mine. Wow. And this was, this was ironic because this was a guy that would have laid his life on the line for any of us as friends. And I get a call leaving the hospital one day and I'm told that I need to get back to our proverbial neighborhood because mm-hmm. one of my good friends had committed suicide. Wow. And that's a whole nother experience mentally because this is a person that I looked up to as one of my my big brother, so to speak, because yeah. whenever we were out or whenever we were out getting into anything, he was the guy that kind of wrangled us in and said, yo, you, you kind of in a bad situation. Get out of here. I got it all handled, but don't be out here doing too much. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And to be that type of figure and then to find out that he was going through something on his own that caused him to take his life. That's a whole nother thing that you have to cope with. Yeah, because you know, you're, you're you're always wondering what you could have done. You know, right. why didn't you notice the why didn't you notice if there was any signs? Why weren't you there to notice? And the thing of it was is there were things when you look back on it now, and that's been some time ago, he had a situation that he went through and it caused him to kind of react differently. He wasn't out and about like he would normally be. Um he became a recluse and stayed in the house and you would see him once every blue moon. He never really did much. Mm-hmm. And come to find out he couldn't cope with losing his mom and some things that took a turn for the worse at his house. And it was just like, but you were one of the strongest dudes I know. How did, how did you get to that point? Right. And for everybody that he had influenced, why didn't you talk to any of us? Mm-hmm. You know, but what I can tell you is, you you get to a point where you come to grips with you never know what a person's going through. Right. And and you always have to kind of be your best self for anybody that you care about because you never know what circumstances might come come to fruition. Right. Yeah. And and you you sort of have to do that. And 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 what most people don't really understand is that when someone is going through you know, whether it be depression, anxiety, or even if it's just a chemical imbalance in the brain, that you're fighting this internal war with yourself. You know, you don't, and when you're fighting that war, you don't, you don't have time for, you know, for letting people in because that war never stops. People think so, you know, you wake up or, you know, you close your eyes and, and basically the dreams are about butterflies and rainbows. No, it's not. It's, it's just a continuation of, of thoughts and processes that are making you feel the way you feel. And at some right. point, and at some point you feel that, you know, it's just, it, it, it's just better. It's just better to, uh, to do what they need to do. And, 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 you know, I guess, you know, you and I know we're both not psychiatrists, you know, we're not giving any type of medical advice, you know, experiencing, you know, someone passing away, you know, taking their life is that you always, and whoever's listening, they always have one more person to call just right. when you think and you, you when you think it's just not you, there's a wall in back of you and there's nothing in front of you 
there is a phone. You can call somebody. I know it's, it, and I just said that how that internal war, but you know what? You got a lot of soldiers around you that are willing to help you fight that war. And I right. think people and, need to understand that. Yeah. And the thing of it is now, especially, I know when we were coming up, mental illness and suicide never really touched home for us. And now when you look up, it's more prevalent than ever. You know what I mean? Right. I didn't think that in my lifetime I'd be sitting here and be able to say that I've lost two friends to suicide. You know what I mean? And that's mm. that's not something that I ever thought would transpire. But at the same time, I'm kind of mindful of more when my friends say that they're going through things or when something seems a little bit off. You know what I mean? Right. Even with everything that goes on on a daily basis and the things that I've had to endure and deal with lately. I try to touch bases with all of my people at least once a week. Right. Not necessarily wanting anything, just making sure that everybody's good. You know what I mean? Put that lifeline out there, for lack of a better phrase. Put that thread out there. Let everybody know, hey, I know you're not, I'm not, I'm, I'm not talking to you, but I'm thinking about you. Right. Exactly. And that's needed, man. And, and you brought up a good point. You know, we, especially when we grow up, when we're not too... They're only four years apart, age-wise. I'm not gonna say which one's the oldest, but you can kind of figure that out. <laughs> but uh, but when you're when you're younger, you know, you you see the and I'm putting air quotes up the crazy dude at the gas station, you know, talking to the sky, doing it. We just dismiss him. He's just crazy. Or the the bag lady that's on the bus stop, that bus that never stopped there in 20 years, but she's always there. We just pass as being as a part of the landscape, just as a a, a you know a shrubbery or a bush. I think what we have to understand is we just need to stop being dismissive of people not acting what we call normal, you know? Right. And, and I think right. what you're doing by, like I said, connecting, putting those birds out there for using a street vernacular saying, Hey, you know what? I'm just thinking about you. You good. Blah, blah, blah. Cause that, you never know, man, that one. And I think that's what the, and uh, excuse my language, the shitty part about when someone leaves, whether they pass away, you know, self-inflicted, or, you know, by an illness or just natural causes, is that we have to cope with why. We have to cope with the understanding that it's not our fault, unless you actually, you know, of course, did something to cause it, but it's not our fault. It's not, it's not your fault that your two friends, you know, passed away or committed suicide. Let's not call a spade a spade. You know, right. it's not our fault that, you know, your friend passed away, your friend's father passed away at seven. But we as loving as we should be as human beings, we still feel that way. We may not say it, but we need to. And I think right. what you're doing, and you know, I, and I, I'm a big proponent of that too. I'm willing to say, hey, you good any second of the day, any time of the day. And I think everybody listening should do the same thing. Right. And see, what I, what I did, especially being in a hospital setting and seeing loss as much as I did, I stopped asking why and started to say everything happens for a reason. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Because when you look at it from that perspective, especially being in the hospital setting, a lot of those people were ill and they were suffering. And it was like, they're better off at this point, mm -hmm. you know? And even in the situation where these individuals took their own life, I think they felt like they would be better off. You know what right. I mean? So I stopped asking why and just said, everything happens for a reason. And you hope that that reason at some point is resolved. Yeah, yeah. And just so you know, this is how live we are. That was a, a fire truck or emergency vehicle, and we don't care. We keep it pushing. 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, you're, you're, I mean, what you're saying is correct. And, you know, and it's just because you're in that hospital setting for those years, you understand that, you know, even though hospitals to get you, make you well, it's there to get you sick. And more likely than not, you're not, you're going to be rolling, you know, moving, you know, I'm quite sure you took the job of, of, you know, you, when the, when the person gets fixed up and well, and they get to be discharged, you would rather roll them out on there with a wheelchair, right? Right. But there's right. always got to be somebody who's got to do the other side. And that was the thing. You you developed this mindset of you were happy whenever you could will somebody out as opposed to willing somebody into the morgue. Right. You know, and it caused me to live my life a little bit different. What I found is a lot of times when I felt like I was dealing with tragedy or I had been dealt a tough circumstance the triumph that came behind it was that much greater. Okay. You know, um, even in that setting or that whole hospital journey, it prepared me for something that I would end up facing probably a good 15 years later. Well, yeah, yeah. You know, mm. you know, but I, I think we'll get into that a little bit later down the line. But when you correlate and make the connection, you'll see that everything does indeed happen for a reason. And, you know, and, and that's, that's definitely a way to, like you said, you're coping. You know, you, right. you can understand that this world is not infinite. It is. But you're, you know, if you take that whole I'm a grain of sand, you, technically you are. You know, you have to, you have to understand that. And, I, and that's, that's hard, you know, because, you know, you still think you're invincible. You know, as you get older, you get the body creaks and the pains in the joints and the headaches and stuff like that. And then, you know, you start wondering, you know, is it, is it time for my body to go downhill? But if you have that, that perspective of saying, you know what, it's just, I'm getting older. Luckily I have pains, but I don't have pain. Then it means something might be wrong. You know what I'm saying? And then, you know, you, you, you try to push forward, push forward through it, not to ramble on, but this is a thought that came in my head, but you did mention your father. Tell me a little bit about your father. Um, I actually just recently lost my dad at the beginning of the year. Um, he ended up having a massive heart attack back in 2009. At the time that he had that, they said that he'd only have roughly about six months to live, mm. which he definitely outlived that prediction. Um, he ended up developing lung cancer um, in April of last year. Mm. And uh, I made a decision in August of last year to resign from my corporate position and come back to take care of him and make sure that I could kind of ease the burden on my mom. Mm -hmm. And when I got back, because I had moved out of state, I just kind of assessed the situation first just to see what I was up against and to kind of get my mind right for what I had to, to face. Right. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And for anybody that knew my pops, my pops was one of those guys that lived on his own terms, did things his way and was happiest when he was outside or when he was at his barbecue pit doing what he did, you know. And when I got back here, it was one of those things where it was a struggle for him to even walk outside, let alone stand at a barbecue pit or do any of the things that he had become accustomed to doing since he had retired. Right. So I come back to stay and all of this stuff is starting to come into the house as far as like, wheelchairs and my medical supplies and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And I just kind of gradually watched him deteriorate. I got to the point where I was 
at all his doctor's appointments and wheeling him around and things of that nature. And I remember him saying, well, no, I'm okay. I don't really want to do much. I just want to kind of lay down. I'm in pain today, but I'm, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. You know, and it went from that to when his birthday came in December of last year, he didn't remember it was his birthday. And you just started seeing stuff decline and slip at a rapid pace. Mm -hmm. Um, now, now, before, now, before you go any further, if I may interrupt you, what, did you have a, um, a support base for yourself while you were going through all this, while you were supporting your father? Um, yeah, I had, a, I had a support system in the fact that the support for me was knowing that I was doing the right thing by coming back. I knew I could get through it. And I've probably only said this to my close friends. But it was too easy for me to come back. There was no adversity in me making that move to come back to the L.A. area to take care of him. Mm -hmm. So I kind of knew at that point that there was a reason I was being brought back. I kind of knew that the end was near. I didn't know how much time I had, but I knew that I had to make the most of the time that I was given. You know what I mean? So you, so you, more or less, you, you were more or less a support system for your father and your mother, but you can't, there's probably mutually a support system between you and your mom, but no one else. And then when I look at it, I can't say that it was nobody else, because when I look at the whole situation as it unfolded, mm -hmm. um, a lot of my, a lot of my day ones, as we'll say, were there, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. They would call and check in or pop by and just kind of get me out the house. Because when I came back, I was pretty much, this is what I'm here for. There was no hanging out. There was no socializing or anything like that. But I had a few of my, my day ones come through and say, hey, if only for a couple of hours we getting out so that you can regroup and face what you needed to face. My uncle was a big part of the support because he would come and stay for four or five days at a time just to give me a break to do what I wanted to do, mm -hmm. so to speak. And when he would come in town and hang out with my dad, it would give me a chance to just kind of take my mom out and do different things to take her mind off of it because yeah. she dealt with it a couple of months before I came home. Mm -hmm. And and I don't see how she did. It was just a lot. It got to the point where it was difficult where I know she couldn't transfer him from the bed to a chair to get him to where he needed to be. And at one point he missed an appointment because he, and this was kind of the first sign of him deteriorating. Mm -hmm. She had got him, got him to a doctor's appointment and uh, basically put him right out in front of the building where he was supposed to go. He walked in the building and got to the first place where he could find the bench right. and said he couldn't go any further. And he just stopped. Wow. He ended up missing that appointment and wanted to go back home. And it was just one of those things where you can get through the day. If you know that one, you have the support for based on what you're going through mm -hmm. to um, being able to, know that you're doing the right thing is also another form of support for every day that it was difficult and you felt like you couldn't watch what was going on, mm -hmm. knowing that I made it easier for my mom or knowing that my mom didn't have to deal with some of the stuff that made it easier for me. And that goes back to my previous statement. A lot of the stuff that I did at the hospital that five years prepared me to be able to do what I needed to do once I got home to help with him. Right. And, and you mentioned when you were in the hospital that one time you couldn't 
go to lunch because it was just such a such an effort after doing what you were doing. And you know, was that was that your breaking point at that point? You know, did, you know, um, when you were there, you know, what I'm saying where you just said, you know what, I, I can't, this can't be the same thing, the life. And I'm gonna go back to 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 your father also. Is, is that it, when you were you couldn't go to lunch? Was that you can't transcend a person passing and also you living at the same time? That was the that wasn't necessarily the breaking point. You know what that was for me? That was when I understood that what I was doing was real. Mm-hmm. That was the point where I knew that. Like you said, there were gaps in between coping with losses and understanding what loss really was. That's when I really came to terms with this happens every day and nobody realizes that unless they're in these types of environments. And bring the correlation between, like I said, that you having lunch and and I mean, you couldn't have lunch after experiencing, you know, you transporting someone down uh, to the morgue. And, you know, that may or may not have been the breaking point was there or was there a breaking point during the process of, of you taking care of your father? Um, the breaking point for me uh, would have been the day he passed away, actually. Um, I remember waking up that morning and going to check on him. And throughout that day, he kind of was fixated on me that whole day, which was kind of weird. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Just because he was in a lot of pain, he had gotten to the point where he wasn't saying much, and he just looked like he was suffering. But he was locked in on me that whole day, so it felt kind of weird. Um, he ended up passing away, and that week that he passed, he passed away on a Friday. That week that he came home, he came home probably a Tuesday or Wednesday, mm-hmm. and he came home and did in-home hospice. And because I had dealt with, like I said, the hospital setting, him being at home and knowing that that could potentially be the end didn't really bother me mm-hmm. because I had been placed in those circumstances before. You know what I mean? And I think the breaking point for me when it was all said and done and and they actually came to get his body, I actually loaded him on the uh, gurney for the funeral home. Mm. And the people looked at me like, you've done this before. And I said, yeah, I've done it for strangers in a lot of different settings because I used to work in a hospital. I'd be remiss if I didn't do it for my pops. Right. You know, you just, and that was, I think that was the breaking point at that time. And then after that, the support is what really kicked in. You know, I had family. I had my day ones. But at the same time, I had to turn it around and change that hat to be the support for my mom. Right, because you know, so it wasn't more or less a breaking point. It was more or less that, you know, this situation has, you know, has been brought to your doorstep, and now you, you know, not as a son, but you know, not as a son for your father for being there, but also for your mother, is that you know it became really real. It became real for you. It, it became real at that moment because you're in any time you're you know what do you call it? your innate you know like blinking you just step right in and did what you you usually do was be there for that person. Right. And once again, because we are so live, that sounds like another emergency vehicle, ladies and gentlemen. Mm, there you go. So when he passes and, you know, we all have, because I, mean, I remember when my father passed away. He passed away, what, in January of, oh, goodness gracious, of 2011. And, you know, 
I remember just the fact that I was unable to be there with him when he passed away. He died in the VA hospital in Westwood. And uh, right. this dude had, you know, just as your father, he had a septuple bypass. I mean, I think every freaking artery they could possibly unclog, they did. You know, this dude was shot in the head when he was, when he used to run bars back in Oklahoma. This dude was stabbed 17 times. So for me, my all aspect has always been that my dad has been Superman. You know what I'm saying? That literally the, you know, I can tell stories about him whipping guns out on dudes chasing me, you know, in the jungles or, you know, dudes, you know, crazy people. Oh, see, here you go. Mislabeling crazy people that were not well, you know, would chase my father. Would, you know, father was that kind of dude. He carried a purse, a Merce, but he carried that. And Merce was a, a nice, you know, Chrome 38. So right. all and those different aspects, I'm sorry, I mean, interrupts you. All those different aspects build up for a certain mythology that I placed upon him. I mean, he was funny that the gift of gab. But when he passed away, my first thought was, of course, you know, hey, I'm, I'm not, I can't be there. I'm such a, a shitty son, which I still harbor a little bit of, you know, issues with that. But it was the fact that it got real once people I never talked to, family members I haven't talked to in a while, started to call me and ask me questions. And I'm going, well, where were you when, when his life should have been celebrated, not at the end of his life? Right. And... You know, you bring your real point where you had to basically engage in the system of your father being taken to the next step. You know, the realness for me was that, you know what, you know, how people are, we, we can't handle certain things. We're not, we're not good or bad, but it should have been no reason why cousins and close family members I haven't heard of in years are now calling me now asking me questions, which I thought that's what made it real, that no matter what, people are going to be people. And, you know, I lost my father. Right. And see, the thing of it is, is it also becomes real when you get past the the business aspect of it. You know, from the time that I did that for him to be taken away until the time that there was actual a service, all of that was business. You know what I mean? The planning and the, the, the getting with your family and making sure that everybody can be here and making sure that it's convenient for everybody that has to travel. Right. You you don't even in that period I don't think I did any mourning at all. It was just you kept all busy. Bit, it was all busy. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean that, that point. right there was your coping mechanism after right. you know from seven not understanding to fourteen you know your your friend dying of leukemia to twenty one having two friends being lost to to what you call them you may have just been building up that characteristic of you know I'm gonna put my head down and make sure nobody has to worry about anything else. Cause I'm going to take care of it. Right. And then you get to the, the finality of it when it's okay. Now you have this whole to do as far as the actual funeral service and things of that nature. And when you do that, it becomes that breaking point because nobody, I don't think wants to see their parent in a box. Right. But, but I told myself that entire day and watching him, suffer his last few days i'd rather see him look peaceful in that box than to witness the agony that he suffered the last couple of days of his life you know what i mean yeah and you you remove selfishness from your from your realm of emotions you can go to well at the same time there there are some people there that were you know when they let a whole they may have been dramatic and crying at the coffin but you know they're asking why and stuff like that you've already resorted to the fact that you know, your father was not in a good place the minutes, 
the moments before he passed away and that you can have solace in the fact that he's at a peace now. Right. And it's, it's one of those things where it's a little bit easier to cope when you know that you've had a, a decent relationship, when you know that even when things got tough, you did the right thing and did what you were supposed to do. Mm-hmm. Um, do you think you learned that from your father? Um, yeah, I think I learned doing the right thing and doing a lot of things as a result of my dad, just because my dad was a lot like yours in a sense of he did things on his own terms. Right. He was one of those, he was one of those wild boys, as we say. And at the same time, excuse my language, but he fucked up a lot. You know what I mean? And instead of me saying I wanted to be just like him in that respect, I always paid attention to the mistakes and said, okay, I want to not make those mistakes. In a lot of ways, I wouldn't change anything because a lot of people say, oh, I loved my dad because he showed me exactly how to be. Right. But I loved my dad because he showed me what not to do. There was no such thing as error and on the side of caution. He he didn't think about it. He just did it. He was 100 all the time. All the time. All gas, no brake. Brakes didn't exist. Mm-hmm. If they did, he cut the brake lines from the gate. Right, right. He knew what he was getting into. Right. So it was one of those things where, you know, you cope with it in a sense of you try to remember all the things that he taught you, whether he knew it or not. I think now there are times where I think about just in dealing with my mom doing being the fact that she's ill and whatnot. Right. It's one of those things that I made a promise to myself. And I think the last thing that I said to him before I walked away from his uh his funeral service was I'll take care of her from here. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So my focus now is to make sure that even when she battles her health issues, that she's taken care of and that she comes first. You know what I mean? So and you and you, when and you, you have to, and I know you understand, and I'm not, you know, by demeaning your 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 understanding this matter, but you know, you doing that for your mom, whether we both know it or not, you got that from your dad, right? Because right. even through those, and I'm gonna use the same words, even though through those fuck ups, you know, his priorities may have shifted one way or another. But his north, his true north, was always you and his mom's. If I'm now, you know, we always take, you know, there are always the negative aspects we can take. But, you know, what are the positive aspects that we take away from our from our father? I think guides us, you know, to who we are today. Don't you agree? Definitely. Um, I think with this, it allows you to know that you can get through anything. When I put things into perspective. Uh, I left L.A. probably almost 10 years ago, moved and created a life where I figured I was doing my thing. You know, I had a corporate job that was paying me quite well. But at the same time, when it came time to step up to the plate, I didn't have a problem with walking away. Mm -hmm. I've pretty much semi retired, you know, at 42 to make sure that my mom can have a decent quality of life and and get through her health ailments. And at the same time, it showed me that the things that I thought was important or the things that I thought would have made them proud probably doesn't matter at this point. They're probably Mm -hmm. more proud of the, the person that I am at this moment doing what I'm doing as opposed to what I 
accomplished with any Fortune 500 company. That doesn't that doesn't really matter. You know, mm. this is the first time that I've had a chance to kind of unplug from that reality in quite some time. At the right. same time, it gives me a different perspective of what life is as a whole. You know, a lot of times people get into the mode of if they gave up everything, it's woe is me. This is a why did it have to be this way? Mm-hmm. I think I've developed the mantra now of it'll be greater later. You know, and you, and you said that's one of the positive aspects you got from your father. That's one of yeah, that's one of the positive aspects that I got from him in, in dealing with this situation. And I think I've gotten that from him since he's been gone. You know what I mean? Um, Do you have any positive? You know, I'm not trying to label it positive, but anything traits that you take from him before his passing that you still do to this day? Um, yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest things is just doing things on your terms, you know, from a standpoint of I've never been one to follow whatever the trends are mm-hmm. for, for anybody that knows me. I'm one of the dudes that gets along with pretty much everybody, but I don't follow the trends. I'm kind of like the proverbial ghost so to speak mm-hmm. you you won't see me in everybody's timelines and all the social media uh frenzies and whatnot but my people know that if they need me i can step up and do whatever's asked of me or be there for whoever i consider a friend mm-hmm. you know and that's kind of how he operated it wasn't one of those you had to be seen or you have to know everybody it's just one of those things that for the people that know you, as long as they know that you're genuine and they can respect that you'll be the man that you're supposed to be, then you, then you're a stand-up dude. Right, and that's that's definitely a great thing you got from your dad. You know, I think that you know that that can can definitely move you forward. Now, it's been some time. You said your father passed away in December, so we're talking almost. We're almost talking January, January twelfth of this year. So we're talking yeah, this year. Seven months, so a little We're over seven months. A little over seven months, yeah. He... Yeah. What are you taking away from your father's passing? And how are you letting, I mean, how are you still, you know, his memory is still alive within you or within, the, you know, your family and stuff like that. What are you doing to, to maintain that? Um, I think what, what I do on a daily basis is I, I always – when I open my eyes, I usually pretty much ask that he continue to watch over me and that his wings continue to cover me so that I can do what I need to do as far as my mom is concerned. Mm-hmm. And every day that I deal with something for her or a doctor's appointment or anything of that nature, and she gets through it or I know that I'm there to make sure that she's taken care of, with each experience, I kind of feel like he's guiding me through it. Mm-hmm. Because like I said, with anything that I've gone through to this point, it kind of seems like they're connected. You know what I mean? Dealing right. with dealing with him and his passing makes it easier to deal with making sure that my mom is good, you know, from a standpoint of... Making sure she's comfortable and stuff. Right. Making sure she's that nature. Because I remember thinking when I left L.A., I moved to Florida for a minute and then I moved to Arizona and I spent almost nine years in Arizona and even when I made that move I remember never really wanting to purchase a house because I felt like I always had to come back 
at one point and make sure that they were okay. Mm-hmm. Now, having that mental fortitude ahead of time saved me a lot of heartache and pain or a lot of extra work when I made the decision to to move back. I didn't have mm-hmm. to worry about an additional property. It's like, okay, pay out of the lease where you are for your, the condo that you have or whatever and make it happen. At the same time, the money that I always saved to buy a property was money that I could come home with and live off of and actually still be able to kind of sit down now and, you know, just make sure that she's good. Mm-hmm. So from this point, you know, on, what do you suggest, you know, for those that are, you know, like I said, you're definitely not, a, we're, we're both definitely not psychiatrists or any paid medical. What would be the one tenant, the one main thing you would say would, would be, you know, when you lose a, a loved one, easier for you to cope with? I think that you have to surround yourself, one, with supportive people. I think that was the first thing that I had, you know what I mean? Um, another piece of advice that I would give is don't wait until you find out that there's a problem or that there's an issue with somebody before you, you know what I mean, go mm-hmm. and see about what's going on. Or be that lifeline for somebody that you know may be having a, a health issue or somebody that you know you might have the potential to lose if you see that there's something not right. I think the biggest thing that I've learned is you have to pay attention to everybody. What makes you be able to cope with this stuff is kind of knowing the people that you have in your life. You right. know what I mean? The one thing that is is ironic is we lost a, a, a friend of ours probably two weeks ago now to suicide. And it was one of those things we didn't pay attention enough. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. To find out that he committed suicide, it's like, man, that's, that's a tough blow, especially from a dude that we didn't see as being that type of guy. You know what I mean? Right. But looking back on it, the fact that we didn't pay attention to the fact that he had become more of a recluse, and the more I thought about it, even when I hung out with him a lot, there was a time where every time we hung out, there was alcohol involved. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And you start to think, is that a coping mechanism for you because you weren't happy? You know, and you just have to kind of pay attention to the people you surround yourself with. If they say that birds of a feather flock together, mm-hmm. you have similarities and you should be able to kind of pick apart when things aren't right with somebody that you're close to. Right. Right. Yeah, that, that, that's definitely important. And now as we wrap up this podcast, you know, we're going to try, try to end on a lighter note. Do you happen to have any any memories or any recollection, any stories about, any funny stories about your dad or funny sayings he used to do or stuff like that? Funny stories? Um, you know, nothing too graphic, but it is a podcast. You can be as graphic as you want. But tell you, know, you something. Tell you a couple of funny things. Um, for all of my day ones, my pops is kind of known as Blue Cup Red Cup. Mm-hmm. Blue Cup, Blue Cup Red Cup represented his beer and his chaser. Okay, okay. now what was in was the Blue Cup? The, Blue Cup was usually his beer. Okay. The Red Cup was usually his chaser. Mm-hmm. Most of the time, that was him having his boiler maker okay so anytime all the all of my homies would come through for barbecues or parties or 
fights or sporting events. Right. Pops would be at the house doing his thing, Blue Cup, Red Cup, you know. One of my boys came in one night and he said, Papa Lane, you messing around with your Blue Cup, Red Cup, huh? And my dad looks at him. He's like, boy, stop talking to me. You done made me fuck up my cups. Mm. He was was that type of guy. You know what I mean? Right. And then it was one instance where uh, I remember me and one of my buddies were going out one night. And uh, my buddy comes and he knocks on the window. Now, he knocks on the window to my parents' bathroom. He assumes that it's me showering and I'm running late and he's ready to go, right? Mm -hmm. And my pops jumps out the shower like, who knocks on the window when it's a grown man shower in the bathroom? Right. So one of my other buddies came by and um, he was talking to my boy and he said, I won't disclose this kid's name just for the sake of not embarrassing him. But my pops is like, hey, you know this kid so-and-so? He mm. said, I don't trust that nigga. I don't trust nobody <laughs> that, that knock on the door or knock on the window when a grown man taking a shower. I right. almost shot that nigga. So, so he got know, his gat in the shower with him? He had his gat by the door. So mm. when he hopped out the shower, mm. he jumps out, he puts on his robe, he goes to the door, and he's got his gun like right by the door. He said, I almost shot that nigga. Who, who knock on the, on the window when a nigga showering? That, oh, wow. don't, really, that don't really... uh." Go over too well with me. That's crazy. So yeah, he was he was that guy, you know. And when our mutual friends hear that story, I'm quite sure you'll get a call and they'll disclose to you exactly who that was. Wow, that was pops. <laughs> huh? that, was, that was pops right there, man. That that was great, man. Great to uh, end this podcast on a positive note, man. Thank you so much for for sharing your thoughts and and uh, your your me- coping mechanisms. And uh, hopefully, we'll talk again soon. Anytime, fam. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to the Storytime Podcast. You can follow me on anchor.fm backslash chatmonious. You guys have a good week.